1: They let me out of a jail a couple times. And the first time they let me out, I, uh, I led them into the woods with shackles. We dug up a couple million dollars in gold bars. They surround me. They had a whole perimeter. They know if I was like, trying to escape or what, leading them on some Easter egg hunt. But, uh, you know, all in all, then they let me out again. It's, it's. It's a long story, but all in all, I ended up giving them close to $10 million in gold bars that I dug up in the woods with them with shackles on and an orange jumpsuit.
0: Welcome back to the Locked In with the Invic podcast. On today's episode, we have Eric Kanori, the author of Pressure, a fast-paced, high-stakes and heartfelt memoir to tell his incredible story of building a multi-million dollar weed empire in college and becoming the largest high-end marijuana wholesaler on the East Coast. In this episode, we dive in to the actions that led him to build this business and how he was eventually caught and sent to prison. We now have new merchant stock. Go to ianbick.com to check out our selection of hoodies, T-shirts, beanies, just in time for the holiday season. Use code LOCKEDIN at checkout to receive 10% off your order. That's code LOCKEDIN. Thank you guys all so, so much to our viewers and our listeners that not only tune in week after week, but also tell their friends about the podcast and help get the word out there. It means the world that I wouldn't be here without you guys. Remember, you can help support our show by hitting the subscribe button on YouTube or giving us a follow and review on whichever site you listen to this podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Eric Kanori. Eric, welcome to the locked in man. Really appreciate you taking the time to come out, be here with us today.
1: Ian, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I always never, never know what to expect when I get on these. So, you know, some, cause when I first started, people used to ask me like, well, do you want the questions in advance? A couple people did. And I, I, I said, no, obviously, but I gave them a better answer than that. But for me, for me, I like raw stuff, so I don't have no clue what we're getting into here. Except uh, locked in, you know, I've been there. I've been locked up, and uh, there's pros and cons to that. You know, when you're when you're trapped in a position, well, you start the show. <laughs> no, continue what you want to say. It sounded interesting. No, nah, I just being trapped. I've been trapped so many times in my life, and the the greatest lessons I learned were being trapped. Whether it was in my child, whether it was in my childhood. Uh, being trapped in my bedroom for months on end while I was grounded or for being trapped in a prison cell sitting there alone looking at barren walls dreaming wondering where you fucked up and how you can do better Uh, I guess you could call that locked in bro
0: (laughs) and that's why you're on the show today
1: that's right and
0: childhood is where we always start our show so let's start there Uh, where where are you from where'd you grow up what was like that early childhood experience like for you
1: I grew up in a little town called Queensbury, New York. It's an upstate New York near, uh, between Saratoga Springs and Lake George, New York. It's a quiet little town in the foothills of New uh, foothills of the Adirondacks. What that was like was lonely and, uh, depressing. That's the truth. And it, and it, and I didn't even realize that until I grew up and, Cause I covered a lot of that pain with drugs. You know, I started smoking weed when I was 16, maybe 15 and drugs allowed me to fit in with others and laugh about a bunch of shit. So I couldn't, wouldn't have to face the reality and have a real conversation about who I was and where I was from.
0: Now, what was the reality at that time? What were your parents doing for work? What were your siblings like if you had any?
1: A quick backstory. My parents divorced when I was two. My mom had me really young. She was maybe 22 years old. Uh, Divorced my father when I was two and then moved me about four hours away from him when I was six. So I don't really have a relationship with my biological father. I I still, I never, he's a good guy, but I don't even really know him, you know, because my mom drove, drove a wedge between us, which was unfortunate. And then, uh, she remarried. I had a stepfather that really pounded on me. You know what I'm saying, man? It was just a tough, like talk back, anything that you do when talking back isn't my parents, my mom and my stepfather drank a lot heavily every weekend, rage and rage and party till sunrise. Right. So very happy on Friday and Saturday yet Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, very irritable. So when you're drinking or any type of drugs you are, it's a roller coaster lifestyle, you know, big sways and emotions. And I had to deal with that as a child. So I had to tiptoe on eggshells at a very young age. So I wouldn't slip up or talk back or do anything that could interrupt their mood and then get a backhand to the face or kneel in the corner to uh, just embarrassing. I'm not going to even get into all the details. It's in my book, but it was very lonely. And at a point, you know, by the time 15, 16, I had a lot, a lot of times thought about, Ended it, you know, ended life just because I was embarrassed because I didn't want to tell people in school what I went through and I couldn't have a real conversation with many kids and I couldn't afford what a lot of the other kids had. I couldn't afford the new sneakers or the nice backpack. Girls didn't notice me. I felt inadequate. I felt like a loser and I didn't know what the point of life was because I didn't know that if it would ever get any better because I was just a kid, you know, and I had to make life better for me and that's when I really, there was one way to make life better and that was to have money because if I had money, I wouldn't have to come home to sleep in a position where I was going to get hurt. And I wouldn't have to come home to eat. Food and shelter were the top two priorities in my young adulthood. And I figured out how to afford food and shelter uh, through eventually selling cannabis. I started selling in high school and then right through college and then uh, graduated college with a business management degree and Started one of the largest high-end cannabis distribution networks on the East Coast of the United States. I sold well over $300 million worth of grass by age 29. I did it all without a gun. Yeah, I did it without a gun. (laughs) And what's very unique is the government never knew my name or that I existed. I was a ghost.
0: Wow. Do you think your mom knew what you were suffering with internally at that young age?
1: No. She was focused on herself. She was too young. She had me when she was 22 and she liked to smoke cigarettes and drink booze and laugh and dance with her friends. All she had on her mind is raise a kid and have him go to college, get a good education. That was the only thing. And so she made me sit in my room for days, hours, weeks, months on end, and just look at textbooks while I would hear her yelling downstairs, you know, and I just would stare at the textbooks and the words would just go blurry to me. You know, it was, uh, I do think in her heart, she wanted the best for me. I couldn't imagine any mother. I'm sure there's millions of mothers that all want the best for their children, but they're so distracted by other things in their lives, whether it's to pay the mortgage, whether it's to fit in with their own friends or their own relationships with their spouses that they just don't have enough hours in the day to give the attention to everything that their heart desires.
0: Yeah. Now, had you have come from money, do you think you ever would have gotten into the cannabis business?
1: Oh man, had I come, that's a tough call because I've seen kids that come from money that end up ending their lives. They're just depressed. You know, the happiest people I've met in my life are people that have some problems because problems are good and overcoming problems are exciting. It's a victory. So, having a certain amount of problems in your life on a daily basis is a good thing to have. You know, some kids that grew up with everything and have tons of money they have no problems. And they're like, what's the point of life? It just gets boring after a while. Right. You know, so you want to have some problems. Mine were just very extreme in my opinion, right? Like looking for a safe place to sleep and eat while shivering outside behind a bush and drinking out of your neighbor's garden hose. Cause you don't want to go home. That's a feeling of being trapped and out of options.
0: No, a typical kid that has typical thinking is just going to say, let me go get a job at like a fast food restaurant. Or like I had a lot of friends that wanted some money and they wouldn't go to the level of starting a, a drug empire. What was it for you that made it want to take it to the next level, not just work like a regular job?
1: I watched the TV show Miami Vice in the late nineties in my mom's bedroom. And I don't know if many people know that but Don Johnson was one of the star characters of that TV show. And I used to watch him with crisp white linen suits down in Miami, always with beautiful women around him, just getting shit done, driving fast cars. And it just looked like a glorious life to me. And when I saw that and I got a taste of, you know, selling a few eighths and half ounces in high school, I remember having an extra like $5, 10 bucks or twenty bucks in my pocket, and that was a sense of freedom. The most baller moment in my entire life, and I've done a lot of baller shit, right? Just blowing money in every which way, millions. But the most baller moment of all my days was when I could go into the Taco Bell drive-thru at age 16 and order three chicken chalupas, and I think they were a dollar thirty-nine a piece. And I even got like a Mountain Dew. The whole bill was like, let's say five forty-five or six bucks. And I sat on the curb, high as a draft's ass, and I ate that chalupa and that soda, and I just felt at peace, and I felt free because I could afford to do that. Because as a kid, I would always ask my mom if we could get that on the menu, and she didn't have a coupon. She only had a coupon for the 89-cent tacos. They weren't the chalupas. They were the real basics. So me being able to level up in that manner, I was just like, I want more of this. And that's when I knew making 20 $30 bucks is not enough. I want more.
0: It lit a fire in you. Yeah, it's crazy that that like the fast food ignited that. Like we all have something that ignites us as an entrepreneur, and that that was what it was for you. That feeling.
1: Yeah, feeling feeling it was a feeling of uh, being able to take care of myself and not having to rely on somebody to feed me. That's uh, I was self sustainable. Well, not totally. I didn't hadn't have a place. I couldn't afford a place to sleep just yet. But I could definitely afford to not be in home on time and buy my own food, which is safety.
0: So how does it go from like a little, you know, typical weed dealer, drug dealer in high school to an elaborate business? Where does it evolve?
1: Well, the biggest thing that I did is I always put myself last. My customers came before me. My employees came before me. My suppliers came before me. Um... And it was always me last, I always just had a mattress, didn't have much in my, all the different rentals I had, I didn't have much, the houses echoed when I was on the phone, so if you call me, you'd be like, where are you? And people would say, they didn't know, you know, because I was always at a lot of different stash houses. But, I put everybody ahead of me, and I was last, and when you do that, when you under promise and over deliver and exceed people's expectations, they come back because they want to work with you. And that was me. There was no messing around. I didn't waste people's time. I show up to a deal and all the deals are win-win. So the key is, you know, keep my margins low, make sure they win. So they want to come back. And then before you know it, I was scaled up to where I had accounts in every single state of the East coast. I had drivers, warehouses, 14 phones at any given time, PGP encrypted blackberries. And, uh, I ran it like a Fortune 500 company, man. I was an air traffic controller, and I didn't talk to anybody. That's another thing. I didn't tell anybody. Everything was a need-to-know basis. So if I do a deal with you, all you know is that. You don't know that I have 10 other deals going on that day or that week, whatever the situation is. Uh, Real quiet, real humble. didn't bling out. It wasn't about rims, cars. I like nice hotels, attractive, intelligent women, and uh, good food.
0: Where do you learn to do this? Like, Where does this come from?
1: Oh, man, I started, I started young. I did a little paper route, you know, until I got grounded. My mom took that away. I did a little shoveling driveways, mowing lawns, washing my grandmother's car. Um, I hustled candy in school, in middle school, where I'd take my lunch. When I get 80 cents for lunch, I'd take that, go to the gas station, buy eight packs of Pez, flip those, double my money and I could still afford to buy lunch and then I'd have leftover change to do whatever I wanted with. So I really started learning how to get my money to work for me at a very young age rather than me work for the money. I sold candy
0: in high school too. My I would get a 20 buck allowance and then get dropped off at the CVS and I would go energy drinks, gum, candy bar and turn it in like 60 bucks on a Friday at school.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's like uh, people like candy, right? I remember <laughs> I remember fuck.
0: It brings back the memories and I had yeah. the lemonade stands do you think entrepreneurs are born or are they made? Are they created or are you just naturally born with that?
1: I don't I don't know. I don't think they're born like that. I think they're in an environment in their youth that sculpts them to survive and to do whatever is necessary to survive. To survive, I apologize. Um Every person that you look at today when you walk out that door, you have to see the little child in them because 90% of who you are, who I am, 90% of who we are was programmed between ages one and seven. So you have to look at where you were and what environment you were during those years. And those years could sculpt you into being an entrepreneur. If you see your parents arguing about money, not having enough money to buy a pack of gum when you're in the checkout line with your mom, um, everything seems too expensive, that's going to resonate and stick in your brain at a very young age and you're naturally, instinctually going to think about how can I get what the other kids have?
0: That makes sense. I never really looked at it that way either. I think it was just like watching my dad own a catering company and, and seeing what he did and then being able to be free and do like start a lemonade stand and stuff. Then that, once you get that taste and like I remember I'd save up to working to get uh, like the new Xbox or the new Wii or anything like that. And having those goals that just made my ambition go larger.
1: Yeah. Uh, was your Did your dad have the catering business when you were really young, like one to seven?
0: Yeah, he started it. He was doing it while he was still a school teacher in New York City. And then he retired from teaching to do catering full time. So I picked that up watching him work and stuff. And that's where it came from.
1: Exactly. So that rubbed off on you. You learned how to turn turn money from your father probably and whoever else i mean i don't know your entire situation but yeah
0: do you ever wish that you used those skills you developed early on for something different at that time period
1: there's always there's a little part of me is like man if i just had that nice peaceful loving environment i always wanted to be an architect i like creating things from nothing and also i wouldn't have to watch my back every day because when you're in the underworld not only are you growing, looking ahead and growing an organization and scaling, but you're also constantly looking behind because you have to cover your tracks all times, right? Like wondering who could have been wearing a wire, how can I prevent myself from you know, cleaning out your trash, knowing that your trash could be being uh, searched through for evidence, it's like a nonstop looking behind you equally as much as looking ahead.
0: What would you categorize yourself? Like what would you have called yourself at the peak of this
1: called myself a real hustler.
0: Is it like a kingpin though, or n- not really? Mm, or
1: I mean, I was a number nine in the business. Number 10 is when you take out the witnesses.
0: Okay. So uh, what does number nine mean?
1: Number nine means, uh, you go big, you make a lot of money, but you won't kill to maintain your territory. You won't kill to maintain your territory. And, uh, I'm not going to carry a gun like some people have to carry guns which i get you know i understand you know that's uh and also number 10 is i was in cannabis the margins are extremely small you move into narcotics and coke i mean i could have made 100 million 200 like big money with the same principles i just did never touch that because the the sentencing guidelines are much more strict or i shouldn't say the guidelines are but the judge in my opinion looks at cocaine is a more uh, dangerous drug than cannabis. And keep in mind, we're going way back in the day here. This is the late 90s, early 2000s. I got arrested in 2009. So had I got arrested now with cannabis, might not have been as strict, but this was before it was legal in any state. Um, But why was I a nine? I was a nine because number 10 is like cartel stuff. That's number 10. That's when you're really, that's when you'll do anything to grow your business.
0: So did you know that it was going to end with you getting arrested then if you were thinking about sentencing and a judge and how they would look at you? Or was that just like a what if scenario?
1: I always knew there would be an end. Oh yeah, I was always prepared for that. I buried money over the years in the Adirondacks to pay for legal fees. And that's the reason why I never had children because for me, it was a calculated risk where I looked at it like, you know what? I'm okay with doing a little time for weed. i am f- never been arrested before. If I get popped, the judge is going to look at me as a first-time offender for just cannabis. It was a calculated risk, and it was worth it for the money I was making. At least that's where my mind was at that time. Now, it wouldn't have been worth it if I had children because I would never want to be in a position where I was boxed up and knowing that my kids were uh, there to witness that and also being raised by somebody else that I might not know of. So that's the only, you know, I don't know if that answered your question, but you have some good questions, man.
0: <laughs> well, what, you weren't expecting that? <laughs> nah, I, I,
1: just all your questions are good. I, you're, you're good at this. So. Thank
0: you. I mean, lots of practice. This is 70 episodes in now. Oh, it's okay. sink or swim. I don't think we would have gotten here if I was, uh, like, the first episode. Um, it was I, I had the questions printed out, and it was just question, you answer. i shoot back another question. It was so cringe. Yeah. And I was, uh, you know, Mike Rappaport. Oh, uh, yeah, I did his show um last week, and he was saying, "I never go on someone's podcast when it's their first couple episodes because that's when you're working out the kinks, yeah, so now we're working out the kinks, and each episode you get a little bit better. How much money were you making at the peak by week by month and and maybe by year?
1: Oh, boy, by two thousand six, two thousand and seven i was I was doing close to sixty million a year in sales,
0: all cash,
1: oh yeah. There's no checks in that. I, I I had a little side hustle with gold, but um, yeah, I was doing I was doing a lot of business, man. I at that point you don't even count the money anymore. It's either, you don't. I didn't even weigh it. You know, some people say they weigh it, but me, it's just you look at the stacks. You know, they're in five thousand dollars stacks, and occasionally you'll check to make sure people are on point and check them because sometimes people get a little sloppy and comfortable. Uh, you forget where money is, man. There's been times where I just come across a million bucks somewhere and I'm just like, oh shit, you know, just forget, you know, you never know your net worth. I didn't even know my, I check my net worth like once a year, once every 10 months, I'd be like, oh, what am I worth now? You know, and just try to calculate what's out on the street, what I have in an inventory, what do I have buried, what do I have invested in other places? Uh, and at that age, in my 20, I became a millionaire by age uh, 21, 22 um, but you would never know it. If you met me somewhere, you wouldn't know it. The the money I spent was never in my hometown. It was always out of town. And uh, I lived comfortably. Um, but uh, I, I let, my, most of my money I just put back out on the street to work for me. And that's how I was able to scale up. It wasn't like I, I'd make money and then go out and buy a bunch of stuff. Granted, I did waste millions in stupid things like filming women. I thought I had this like docu-series. I blew a couple million on. I had just a lot of little immature things because, uh, I was never noticed in high school. And I think there was this little part of me in my gut that wanted to be loved, always loved and accepted. And my, uh, I think the way I attracted love and acceptance at that age with my mentality was to be noticed or for something that I did, maybe I could make this TV show and be a success. And everybody say, wow, Eric did it. You know that would feel good because I never had a compliment. I wasn't really allowed to play sports much in high school, um, so there was no good job, Eric, ever in my life at, at that age, at least. I mean, now I hear it occasionally, but guess.
0: <laughs> Did you have a system to clean that money at all, or was everything just cash all the time?
1: Everything was cash. I didn't. I had a legal business, but I didn't commingle my funds. Uh, there did get a point where, like I said, I had a gold hustle. I actually, I I ended up, uh, paying the feds close to 10 million in gold bars that I dug up in the woods with shackles on. We'll get to that, but that, that was kind of my way of, uh, making it so I wouldn't have to work undercover for them. But I didn't really, uh, Now there was no, there was no, I didn't, a lot of people like at my level, they'll have legal businesses where they run the cash through, whether it's a restaurant, a pizza shop, real estate, there's plenty of ways to launder and clean money, but I didn't have that going on. My business was just moving so fast that I was just burying shit and literally in the earth, three feet down. And did you have like a partner or
0: is this all you with just employees underneath you?
1: It was just a solely me. I had a lot of people that Maybe you can consider them partners. I don't know. I had good longtime customers. I had some customers that were there with me for a decade plus that um, always paid on time, Um, never did me wrong. I've had people go down under me, get arrested. Uh, I had a lot of different things. But no, I was the sole owner boss, you could say.
0: And how did you protect yourself from the people underneath you that they couldn't just flip on you right away? Because you had a long run in this. It's not like you just started this up. One guy gets caught, and then two months later, you're in jail.
1: Gut instincts, and I've said this before. Like when I meet you and do a deal with you, I can pretty much tell if you have a wire on. Not always. I'm not. I couldn't tell now because I'm not aware. I don't look for that. But back then, I could tell. And uh, remember, it's uh, it's it's not what you think or what's in your heart. It's your gut because your gut said signals to your heart and then your heart sends signals to your brain. So for me, following gut instincts was really what kept me out of the crosshairs of the feds for a long time. Uh, There were several people that tried to wear wires on me in the past. A couple in college. There was a couple other that I'm not 100% sure on once I graduated college, but uh, you get that gut feeling, and then you don't call them out on it, but you give them some false information on the wire, and it just sends them in a different direction so you look like a nobody. Uh, And I always kind of made myself... um, purposely appear to be a nobody, you know? Yeah.
0: So what would be like a tell-all sign? I know you're saying your gut, but there's got to be like, is the person sweating, the eye motion, body language? Oh,
1: that's part of it. I had one kid show up to me. He was just exhausted, bro. You could tell the feds had been like running him down, dude. He was just exhausted. And plus I had heard somebody else got busted near him. So I know they scooped him up and had a little talk with him and told him he can go back out on the street and do his thing. Uh, Actually, I pressed him a little and he gave me a tip. He did actually write down, that's in the book, what happened. He gave me a tip that he was wearing a wire on me. Um, another tell is just how they talk. The key words, you got to think about, is this conversation going to be used in the court of law? Is a jury, if a jury's listening to this conversation right now, can they pick incriminating things out of this conversation? So basic 101 things, like if you're doing a deal with somebody, you're not going to say, the words weed, cannabis, cash, right? Like those are key words, but you can say, you know, yeah, can you bring the package here tomorrow of a hundred units? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Five, five, you know, then the jury hears that. Yeah. Well, I have a candle business. Yeah. I bought a hundred. What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? So plausible, plausible deniability can save you in certain circumstances. But the thing is, if the feds want you, they got you. They have, they have all the time in the world and they have unlimited resources. So the key is if you, if you're going to, I don't advise anybody going in the underworld, but if you are, the key is you you can't be flesh. You can't upset them. You can't make yourself look better than them. Like they, they worked hard. They went to college. They have a job. They make whatever. I don't even know what these agents make a hundred grand, they make a hundred grand. And you're out there making millions of dollars. How do you think that's going to make them feel when they have to, when they go to bed at night? Yeah. They're not going to like that. So. It's just a matter of when they get to you. So you got to be quiet and you got to focus. And if you're, you know, kids that pick up drug dealing, I feel bad because a lot of kids, they don't want to be drug dealers. They just have to do it because their parents aren't there to provide for them the basic needs.
0: Where was your mom at the peak of this? Did you guys have a relationship
1: uh, at the peak of this uh, yeah I mean I'd come home for Thanksgiving give her a hug Christmas bring her a nice TV you know gifts and things that, that was my form of uh, showing her mom that I did it you know buy her things did she know what you were doing no I mean she, she might speculate I don't know she used to watch Miami vice when she was younger it doesn't <laughs> like I would think that she would yeah. have an idea but supposedly no I mean she was just kind of blown away when she read the headlines when I got initially arrested when
0: she found out about it yeah was there ever any like dangerous situations or close calls
1: as far as in what with with what cops guns anything yeah
0: with clients with with the police during your career
1: um Oh my God. There's so many close calls. Well, a couple kids wore the wires on me. The feds were watching me in college before I graduated. I only had like six months left to graduate and they sent two different kids to my house with wires on trying to get a case on me before I left. And I was just so close to graduating. I'd already done three and a half years at another six months left. I was going to be out of there. And I was a little nervous, but, uh, I played them pretty well. I sent them on a false trail, gave them some inf- misinformation. I was able to escape out of town with a, with a load, a small load. I was small back in college, but, uh, a smaller load. And, um, they didn't follow me around cause they weren't going to follow around a kid. They only thought I was worth about 60 grand in college. So it was kind of just like a loose end that they could get to me, but they're not going to waste a lot of resources on a little kid like that. Uh, I was able to get away from that. And, um, Moved to another town where I started a legitimate business as a cover-up. Other close calls, I mean, there'd been robberies. There'd been a shootout on the reservation before. But close call where I'm sitting in a chair and somebody has a gun to my head and says, give me everything you have. No. Never. No.
0: So you got pretty lucky for the most part.
1: Well, I wouldn't call it luck. I call it skill. I was very good at what I did because I started at the very I wasn't introduced like a lot of people come to this game like they'll pick up they'll be a driver or, and then they'll find somebody else connecting connect and take it I started with a dime bag. I started with an eighth. I started with a, like when you look at how much I sold, 300 million, but think about what I bought. I did well over a half billion dollars worth of business in my 20s. That's 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 that was done trial and error and just going slowly and gradually and keeping my words. So I just learned gradually how to do this stuff. And I, I worked a lot and my girlfriends would complain about that. Why don't I ever see you? So there's pros and cons. I, you know, I had a lot of money, but I didn't have a lot of free time and I was actually exhausted. The money really robbed me Originally the money gave me freedom, but then it got to a point where the money robbed me of my freedom, specifically my free time. Because uh, I don't know if it was greed or maybe it was just fear of never going back to a place where I didn't have anything. I just kept working, dog. Just kept working like a dog till I just never stopped for anything. Even yeah. if I, you know, got sick or got a cold. I luckily I don't really get sick anymore in years because I've learned how to live a healthy lifestyle. But man, the money got to me at the cellular level and I'm talking about just weakness, illness, tired, stressed. It wasn't worth it anymore. And that's when I started making mistakes and I eventually had a downfall like I was just in the wrong business. Like it wasn't I'm not passionate about weed. I don't even smoke. I got all the drugs out of my system. I didn't, you know, college and a little after college, but then I really didn't really do much drugs. I drugs fucked up my perception, weakened me. You know, it was fun to laugh with buddies about a bunch of bullshit, but you know, but when you go home alone and you're sitting there weak and tired and exhausted and blurry it's the high isn't worth the low to me
0: yeah it's nice in the moment but then when it clears up a little bit then you're like i don't want to do this were you taking college seriously making all this money like were you still going to classes getting good grades
1: yeah i had uh i had decent grades i mean i wouldn't I paid people to highlight all my textbooks in the class. So I'd find the kids that really knew what was up and then I would, they'd, they'd highlight stuff. I had one kid specifically, he's a good friend of mine still. Um, and uh, yeah. Oh, one thing I always made sure to show up to class no matter what. It was top priority. Even if I wasn't learning or paying attention or half asleep, I always showed up. I never missed classes. That was one thing about me. And I think teachers respected that. Uh, my grades weren't always the best, but I passed everything. Um, But I wouldn't, just because I didn't have good grades doesn't mean I'm not smart because, you know, I've learned over the years is it's, there's a lot of knowledgeable people out there, but intelligence is different than knowledge. A knowledgeable person knows a lot of stuff, but they don't know how to apply it to their life to level up. An intelligent person knows how to take the knowledge and then use it to their advantage to level up. So, you know, I wasn't an extremely knowledgeable where I'd look at the book and know everything in the book, but I was intelligent where the little bit that I did learn, I would apply that to my own life and keep growing.
0: You think you needed to go to college?
1: Uh, I think it was a good buffer from being trapped in my mom's house to the real world because thankfully my mom helped. She paid uh, half a college or maybe a third. I don't remember the exact number, but she helped. And she pushed me to go to college. It helped me adapt and you know, live amongst other kids Uh, I didn't have to worry about food at that time, right? Because I had the the campus provided us with food. So it was a good buffer or bridge into the real world for me. So I don't think it helped as far as getting a job because I never worked for anybody since, uh, you know, McDonald's in 96 or something (laughs) like that, but. That was uh,
0: your last regular job?
1: Yeah, it was either that or a doc. (laughs) No, actually I worked at the front booth. uh, It was like the check-in gate at at an RV park, but I sold weed out of the booth to the piece so people would drive up to the booth. So I really only kept the job because it was free real estate to run my weed business.
0: Yeah. What, what do you, um, what, what advice would you give to someone that's kind of on the line in high school right now about deciding whether they want to go to college or not?
1: Oh God, that's, I'd hate, I think personally, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, I really think those are, uh, things you should go to college for because those are skills. You don't, that's a, you don't want to mess up with the knife under surgery, but general things. If you don't know what you want to do in life, and I hate to give this advice because I've never actually been a parent, but uh, I would, I would personally just say, start your start working, start working because in, in school they really never taught me how to make money. They taught me how to get in line, stand straight, be there when the bell rings. Kind of, it was kind of a little more like taught me how to be a slave in a way, in my opinion. But They didn't really teach me how to make money. They taught me about history, spelling, but history really never helped me make money. Uh, I wish they had taught me about how to deal with people. You know, how come they didn't tell me? You know what they told me? Don't talk to strangers. Well, if you don't talk to strangers, how are you going to make money? You know, if I come up to you, if I'm going to order my sandwich, I'm like, hey, what's up? What do you do? And you're like, oh, I, uh, I own the dry cleaners down the street. Oh, no kidding. I need my shirts dry cleaned, and whatever. You know, we do business. So that's a tough question. I don't want to tell kids not to go to college. I just, I feel like it's over. They're charging way too much. What are you going to rack up a couple hundred grand in debt, then get out? And then you're going to get a job. You're going to have a mortgage payment. Then with the interest on your loans, that's tough to get ahead. It's tough to get ahead unless you want to make a lot of sacrifices. And the type of sacrifice is going to be no partying on the weekends, being very, military and regimented about how you spend your free time. You sleep eight hours, you work eight hours. That gives you eight hours left. You're going to scroll on your phone for about four of them. Then you got three left. What are you going to do with those other three hours in the day? If you really want to level up in life, you need to think about that. Otherwise, you're just going to be a follower. Now there's nothing wrong with being a follower. I consider myself more of a leader, but being a leader You could look at that and be like, that's a lot of work. You're missing life. Chill out, Eric. Why you always got to be go, 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 which is right. Because being a follower, you kind of just hang out, tinker around, enjoy life. What if you die tomorrow? At least you had a lot of free time, right? Hey, it's not a bad way to be. So just figure out where you want to be because we need all types of people in this world ecosystem to thrive and evolve. So my way is not necessarily the right way, but it's just the way that works for me.
0: Yeah, I just think there's so much pressure from society that you have to go to college to succeed and i think it helps people when they hear that there are other options and legal options we're not telling anyone to go out and start a drug empire but there there's other options like i I look back on it now if i left high school and got a job working even at whole foods like i did when i got out of prison i'd have a ton of money saved up just grinding and figuring out what i want to do because there's so many growth opportunities in different businesses and you kind of use that as a stepping stone to start your business if you are a leader in that realm.
1: Yeah, there's so many. I mean, you could be, you could get out of high school and be a janitor. And you could be mopping those floors every day and be like, you know, this mop sucks. And you may invent a mop that's more efficient. And you might be a billionaire. The key is just to wake up and follow where your gut. You know, you have to... A lot of people are going to, you're going to wake up and people are going to tell you what to do and, but that's from their perspective and what they do may be good for them, but not necessarily for you. So really follow your gut and your heart and uh, don't be afraid of being judged because I even, I'm a pretty confident guy, but I still am a little afraid of what people think of me. Specifically on social media, like I don't have a social media presence, bro, because I feel awkward. I don't know how to post. I don't know what to post. What if I get one like like, but in person, I'm more confident because I can feel energy. I can't feel energy through the phone screen, so I can't tailor my attitude or behavior through that. That's why I'm not a good texter, because I can't feel the vibe. But in person, I can feel the vibe and I can make shit happen with you, whether it's any type of connection, whether it's uh, business, romantic, platonic, whatever it may be, I can feel that vibe, but I can't do it through text. A lot of people get on my ass because I don't text anybody, (laughs) you know?
0: I mean, you keep it organic, you know? Yeah, I try to. It's a lot better. Social media has everyone thinking that, you know, like look at influencers on social media. They're giving kids and young adults a, a different image than what their lives could actually be like. And it, it, it's making other people not follow their passions because they think life's a certain way from what these others are posting. And a lot of the times you meet these individuals and they're nothing like that. They're, oh, yeah. they're just humans too.
1: I can't tell you, I've, I've dated in my past, I don't know, 12 years, I've dated a fair amount of women that have large followings on social media, but really kind of lonely you know they're kind of lonely they're it's a it's, it's a lot of work to maintain that image it's not real bro i mean shit, if you have five friends you're fucking winning like winning like the let's just say i don't know my five different grades of friends but even my closest that i can fit on one hand i don't even have time to see them that much and it's Hopefully they know I love them from afar because I'm not a texter. But when I see them, we pick right back up, you know. But you know, it's you know, it's just because I'm 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 in. am just in a phase in life right now where I'm competing against myself. I'm trying every day to become the best version of myself. Because I spent. I had a. You know, everybody has highs and lows in life, and I kind of went through a, a low reflective phase over the past. I don't know, ten years. Well, it was good. It was by choice. It was great for me. Actually, it tuned me up. But, uh, yeah, social media, bro. It's you know, and I and I. You can buy followers. You can buy. The, it's just. I'm just like, what's real? And you know, I haven't bought any. But the kids, the kids, I did it for a reason I haven't, because I have a bigger plan that I'm setting up a program for kids, like a, a university of sorts online, but I don't want to mislead them and give them a false sense of reality. Like, I'm a fucking normal dude. If I have I have one friend, I'm winning. Like, I'm winning. Like, if I was locked up in a prison cell and I had one person on the outside that could handle shit, which a lot of people don't, you are fucking winning. Imagine being trapped in a cell 23 hours a day, you don't even have a stamp to mail somebody in a letter. And you just hope you have a friend out there that can hold shit down for you, take care of something if it needs to be happened you know, taken care of. And uh not everybody can say that they have one person that they can truly, really count on.
0: Yeah. I mean, something I've learned it's it's really not always about money. It's about the people you're with and and how you spend your time and having that luxury of being able to, I guess, be free. Just that concept alone. When individuals like you and myself go to prison it gives you a different sense of the world and appreciations for things it just i was in alaska last weekend you know just seeing that space like i i got it was the first time i ever like went to a restaurant alone and sat down at a restaurant by myself just eating and and i don't know it was like it was it was it was weird but it was good it was like a different kind of feeling it makes you appreciate things more
1: being in Alaska or being alone? or both,
0: both. I mean, the Alaska trip was great. That yeah. was like a, a great yeah. experience, you know, and that stemmed from me going to prison because they had me yeah. go out there to speak. But just I would always like, I think as a young adult or a young kid, like make fun of the person that was sitting at a restaurant alone or by themselves and stuff. And then I was that person last week. It just gave me different clarity, if that makes sense. It yeah. just like, like frees your mind. And it just it's like it gives you a lot of time for reflection.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I eat out a lot alone. Probably at least three times a week because I never know where I'm going to be. Like tonight, I you know, I'm out of town, so I'll probably be dry. I'll, I got another meeting to drive to. I'm going to stop at some restaurant. I'll find one on Google. And I, for me, eating alone is a time for me to reset. And I've been doing it for 25 years because I'm always, um, not even when I'm traveling, even in my town, you know, I like I like going to, places on the quiet nights. Like there's certain restaurants, certain Indian restaurants. I like, like I'll go on a Tuesday or Wednesday when not many people are there and it's just time for me to reset. And so I'm going off a tangent here, but that's good that you're doing that because eating alone. I remember that in a cafeteria as a kid, there were times when I sat alone in the cafeteria and I didn't look up because I was afraid of what people would have thought of me. I just looked at my tray and just kept looking down shoveling the food into my mouth to see how fast I could get up from that uncomfortable position. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I know exactly what you're talking and about. And there's a
0: lot of kids in the world that feel that way. And I think it's good for them to hear this so they could understand that you could do that in your adult life and it's okay. That's normal. And to appreciate those moments too, because that's how we find ourselves.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're not spending time alone, you're not leveling up.
0: Absolutely did you have a number in your head that you wanted to accrue net worth wise to get out of the game? Oh man. Cause you were, you were intelligent. You were smart. You had everything figured out for the most part.
1: Yeah. It started first. I wanted to hit 10 million. Then I wanted to hit 50 million. then I wanted to hit a hundred. Like the number just kept growing and, uh, and the, the reason why is because the people I was the in an environment where there was just money all around me. So I didn't even feel like I had a lot of money because there were a lot of other millionaires around me. And when you're surrounded with a bunch of millionaires, it just seems normal and things are, and also you, my cost of living is a lot, right? Like, you know, when I first got arrested, I was like, Oh shit, do I have enough money to live the rest of my life? You know, cause now I'm all done working, you know, I'm like, shit, you know, I was trying to do the math and I, I you know, it was, uh, when's enough, you know, everybody should really think about that because, uh, you don't want to be sitting in your casket being like, if I only had more time because you're not bringing all that stuff with you that you bought and you're not bringing all that money with you. So you you really, I recommend it, and I learned this in a prison cell, is uh, finding that sweet balance between free time and working. And, uh, you know, a lot of us were taught to work hard and then retire, you know, and we are programmed that way. And what are you going to do when you retire? Like, I'm not going to need that much money when I retire. I'm not going to be fucking moving. I'm going to be hanging out in my kitchen eating and then maybe go for a walk somewhere. Like, I'm not going to be. So now... Every day you should retire a little bit have a little fun right work hard go for a walk be, pretend you're retired and go for a walk around the block pretend you're retired and buy something that might be of that you didn't want to buy but you think it'll add value to your life. Uh, I'm going on a tangent again with this one, but I, you know, I really thought that I needed to make a shit ton of money and save up to retire, which is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. I like money and I want to make money and I want to be comfortable at a later life. You have to put your acorns away for the winter, right? But be careful to not let the money rob you of your soul and your freedom.
0: And I think you only learned that through going through what you would later go through. Because your answer today is different than what it was at that time period when you were at your peak.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'd even wear the money on my wrist. Literally, I had the nice watch. You know, I have a nice watch, so I could show everybody. You're like, yo, motherfucker, I can afford this shit. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I fucking, I, I earn this. I work. I'm, I'm, I'm valuable. I'm worth something. You know, on a watch now for me is an obligation. Like just one other, I got to put this on in the morning and I got to remember where I put it. Like if I'm traveling around, like I'm, I love, I live a very lean and mean, I shouldn't say mean. I live a lean lifestyle right now. I don't have, I try to really have as least amount of obligations as possible in order to better my life. And a watch is not better in my life. One bit phone is right on my cell phone. Yeah. Granted. Fifty years ago, or whenever they didn't have cell phones, a watch is a very important time a timepiece, right? Show up on time, show you're a good businessman to the second. So it was a, it was a necessity to have a watch. But now it's more of just a statement, in my opinion. But which is fine. I still have tons of friends that have nice fancy watches, and I like looking at them. I appreciate good, <laughs> good craftsmanship.
0: Yeah. So how do you end up getting caught? How do they come on to you if you had everything so well organized?
1: Uh because I started getting sloppy towards the end because I wasn't passionate a bit about the business. And when you're not passionate about something, that's where things start crumbling and slowly eroding around you. And that's what was happening to me. I was making poor choices, taking shortcuts within my organization. One of them is I hired uh, Missy Giovi to drive a load for me. She was one of my customers for a couple of years. Uh, Little backstory on her. She was one of the fastest female mountain bikers in the world at one time, won a few world cups. Um. And I hired her to drive a load. Most of my most of my cannabis for over a decade, I was sourcing out of Canada, and we'd bring it down to the United States. But uh, come 2008, my customers were complaining my prices were too high, so we started source. They were getting, you know, California started actually having excess cannabis around 2008, where they could really start shipping large volumes to the East Coast to get it out of their state. And my customers were complaining my price was too high and that the market was becoming saturated and they can get it cheaper elsewhere, which was true. So I started, I was like, I want to go out to California see what all this action about. So I went out there, set up a little hub, started sourcing there for a few months, but I didn't have solid transportation there yet. It was a new territory to me. So I was kind of just jimmy rigging everything. Uh, you know, I didn't have I really I was setting up to jet the cash there and have a fruit truck bring the, the, the product back to the East Coast. But I just decided to use Missy Giovi as a driver. And it was a really low budget way of doing things where she would just throw the weed in a tr- cargo trailer pulled behind a pickup truck. And uh, she took some shortcuts on me. She um, she misled me. I paid her 60 grand to do the drive cash. And she subbed the drive out to her massage therapist for only 3000, didn't tell her therapist there was weed in the truck. And the they, she got pulled over for speeding. They put a GPS unit on the truck, which followed that truck back to one of my properties in upstate New York. And that's when the feds first set eyes on me and things just started eroding from there. Yeah, I, I evaded them for a minute. I dipped out, I lost them to a hundred miles an hour on the highway. Um, but I came back to them and I allowed them to cuff me up and they had a really weak case. I, I spent a shit ton of money on lawyers over 700 grand. And, uh, Oh man, that was, a, it's all in the book, but that was, uh, you know, I hired a private investigator to, to investigate the DEA cause they started investigating me. So I was like, I'm going to investigate them. And, uh, yeah, Missy Giovi led them right to my doorstep. And that's where they really started investigating me and trying to figure out who I was and what I was doing and why I had a million and a half in cash in my house. And, you know, they wanted me to work undercover that for them from day one. I wouldn't do that. Then I was bailed out. And that's when they started really watching me. And um, I got rearrested a second time as I was on pretrial release and wanted me to work again. This time they stuck me in the jail with no, with no bail. And eventually, after a few months, my lawyer came to me. He's like, listen, Eric, this is actually already two years into the first arrest. So like, Eric, you know, if you just give them the rest of your money, they're going to they're gonna let you go. I still ended up doing a couple years for them, close to it, I don't know, 20-something months. But um, my lawyer's like, listen, he came to me in jail. He's like, listen, if you give them the rest of your money, they know you're a good kid. They'll let you go. And I was like, hey, can we get it in writing? Like, now you can't buy your way out of jail but but this would be a form of cooperation and i was like okay you know i could live with doing something like this rather than working for them but how much you know we negotiated and how i negotiated that deal is all in the book but it was uh they let me out of a jail a couple times and the first time they let me out i uh i let them into the woods with shackles we dug up a couple million dollars in gold bars they surround me they had a whole perimeter they know if i was trying to escape or what leading them on some easter egg hunt but uh you know all in all then they let me out again it's 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 a long story but all in all i ended up giving them close to 10 million dollars in gold bars that i dug up in the woods with them with shackles on in the orange jumpsuit
0: that's insane. Yeah.
1: They got a couple million in cash out of me. They got close to 12 million out of me in total. Um, and that was my form of cooperation. it was kind of like, Hey judge, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. Here's all the money from my, uh, crime and I'm never going to do it again. And it was just weed. I didn't say that exactly to the judge, but that was my mentality and that was my thinking and the advice I was getting from my lawyers at the time. And, uh, that's what I did. And I learned a lot through this whole deal. I learned how the government works. I learned about how I work. I learned about my pain. I learned about other people's pain. I learned about everybody that you look at is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. So I really learned how to have compassion for others. You know, a lot of times I thought I was the only person that had a troubled childhood or hard times. And, um, Everybody's really dealing with something. It could be an illness, disease, death of family, so many different things out there. So getting arrested slowed me down and allowed to be more relatable and a nicer person in many ways.
0: It humbled you, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you
0: tactically really did buy your way out of prison, hypothetically.
1: Hypothetically, no. I didn't, you can't buy your way out of prison. <laughs> no,
0: That's insane, though. Was it? Do you think it was worth it? Like looking back on it, how much time would you have gotten if you didn't give them that money?
1: If I had to guess, I mean, there's no telling, maybe 10 years. 10 years? Would you have done
0: 10 years in prison for that 10 million? No,
1: no. I'll make it back. I'll make it back legally. There's, I got some plans. I mean, I'm, even if I don't, I don't really, my life, I mean, I like money, but I'm way happier now living with less income, than I was then because when you're a boss and if your organization isn't structured properly with good lieutenants around you, you don't have time to breathe. Think about how many rich people you know that don't have time to breathe and are sick and literally tired, just tired all the time. Every morning have to have a coffee to get through the day. I've never had coffee. Thankfully, I, you know, I live with the sun, rise with it and set with it. But, you know, if I straight up came out of college and I had to be somewhere every single morning when somebody told me to, I probably would have started drinking coffee. I was fortunate enough where I was able to make my own schedule. But think about how many people right now can't make their own schedule. Even the people that own their companies making millions of dollars. That business owns them. They do not own the business. Because if they leave, if, they, if you do not have good lieutenants and you leave your organization, you want to go on vacation with your wife for a couple of weeks down in the Caribbean, you could think the whole company could collapse. Just a few mistakes, people not know what they're doing. So for me, losing that business and losing that money was a blessing because it taught me where I, that I was going in the wrong direction. So the next time I set up a company that can scale, I'm gonna make sure I have good lieutenants around me because I want free time, I want time to breathe. So uh, do I regret giving them all the money? No, I wouldn't want to done 10 years in a cell. Now, I wouldn't mind the alone time, it's the food. <laughs> the, the food, it, the, the prison food is not nutrient-dense food. Like, I eat from farms, not factories. And a lot of the food, even that we eat out here, is produced in factories, right? Like, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but uh, yeah, dude, it's the food, man. <laughs> I remember eating a hamburger, just like tough things, like in the meat. Like, I don't know if it was a bone, a nail. That's uh,
0: not even real meat, whatever yeah, they did, Yeah, yeah, you. What, dude,
1: come on. The it's, sloppy joes. Yeah, yeah, it shouldn't be, it, it, you know, they really should fix that because if you really want to reform inmates and make them better so they don't go out on the street and do this shit, like the system is not, in my opinion, set up for reform. You know, I was fortunate enough where, you know, the deal I made with the feds, I was allowed to keep my legitimate assets so I had something to come back to. But if you don't have something to come back to, and you're malnourished in there and you're doing a 10-year bid and you come out like, what do you got left for life? It's like, you know, you, you're going to do something again wrong because you just, you only have, you only have a few years left maybe of life. It's like, yeah, I could talk about this all day. Bottom line is they should fix the nutrition program in prisons.
0: What was the first conversation with your mother? Like after she found out that you got arrested,
1: we didn't even talk. She's just like, I don't know what to say right now. I'm embarrassed.
0: How'd that make you feel?
1: It, it didn't even, her feelings were not my priority because I was being literally followed by the feds 24 7 when I first got arrested. They had cars sitting down the road. Like they knew everything. They knew what I ate for breakfast, what type of laundry. They probably knew what I sound like in bed. Like they knew everything, bro. So worrying about her feelings was not my, 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 my worry was how do I have a top notch legal team? How do I figure out, how do I close up my organization properly? Uh, There was just so many moving parts that I was in a military mindset at that time.
0: But do you think people in those positions have to be selfish because they need to focus on themselves to get out of those situations?
1: Yeah, yeah. Anytime when you have, I was at war. So in your tribe, whatever, if somebody in your tribe is at war battling, whether it's cancer, the government, anything, you need to be there for them. Don't they don't need to be there for you? So my mom needed to be there for me then, and and they they did a pretty good job. You know, I'm a they did a pretty good job, I guess. You know, you could say. I mean, I I don't want to get into why that. I don't want to get into all my family stuff right here. I put the the most that I wanted to share about my family is in the book, but I'm not going to get into all that. But uh, oh man, you know what? your mother's supposed to be really the closest person to you. Cause remember you were connected by an umbilical cord at one time, you know, I don't have unfortunately a, a relationship, you know, anymore. And I, and I don't want to get into that. It's a hard thing I've had to face in my little ayahuasca ceremonies that I do. You know, it's like one thing that always comes to me. It's like, you know, family is everything and most important. And I got burned in many more ways than one. And it's, it hurts. It still hurts to this day. And the reason I don't party and do drugs and stuff like that is because if I were to do that, they, it would probably collapse me and knock me out because there's that little pain there, man. It's like it's uh, there's this. this is, I still deal with it. But the only way I get through it is I keep moving, right? I exercise. I eat right. I try to hang around with good people. I try to work on things that I'm passionate about. I try to rise above the pain. But it's there still. But hey, fuck, everybody's got a little pain, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what makes us human. and makes us relatable to each other and keeps us going too. If yeah. you use it as like a motivator. Yeah. How much time did you end up doing overall? And when did you get out of jail or prison, wherever they sent you? How
1: much time did I do? I did close to 20 months. How much? What was the other question?
0: Um, What year did you get out?
1: Oh, uh, I got out in... Uh Jeez, 2014, I believe. Yep,
0: And that's when everything was done. The case was I, over.
1: Yeah, well, I still had Rise released for five years, I believe, um, which was, you know, you just have to tell them where you're going, how much money you make, how much money you spend, if you've done anything wrong. But, you know, my, they were all respectable. I respected them, they respected me. I followed all the rules, followed the law, and I kind of just focused on writing my book. Uh, other small little business endeavors I had at the time. I did those things and it kept me out of trouble. And uh, I had um, a couple good girlfriends at the time. But uh, man, I've had a, you know what I've, th- in my life is I've had a wide variety of experiences. It's not like I've done more than anybody else. I've just, it's been very diverse, diverse lifestyle I've lived.
0: Do you feel lucky about the whole situation? Because there's others in your that were in your shoes that got way more time and didn't have the luxury of making a deal like you did.
1: No, I didn't get lucky, bro. Not, and, and, and I know some people would laugh, right? <laughs> first-time offender for weed, there's not really anybody you're going to see doing serious time. For a first-time offender for cannabis, I paid them $12 million, bro, voluntarily. It wasn't like they seized it or caught me with it like I paid them a lot of freaking money to show the judge I'm done here's the proceeds of my crime the judge could have been like okay there's supervised release get on with your life don't do it again or you're going to be doing some serious time instead he gave me a sentence and he made me go do time and it's like in hindsight it was the best thing that ever happened to me so maybe he does know what he's doing but uh i mean dude i mean that's a lot of freaking money i gave them right i mean that's you don't really hear that happening actually and it was the most money they got in new york state that year there was only like 22 million recovered in forfeitures that whole year in the whole state that includes manhattan new york's all the city like that's a lot of freaking money i gave them do you know that? (laughs) don't quote me on that number if you don't quote me on that number do the research but that's what i recall um yeah, where'd that money yeah, go? Where bro? does that I, money I, go? I, I, they didn't need the money. They can print more. Yeah, it's crazy though
0: the whole seizure concept that when they take money and then whatever, wherever it goes.
1: Yeah, you know, I I don't. All I heard was they auctioned the gold off, and what they do with the proceeds of that, I have no clue.
0: Hopefully, it went to a good cause. I I
1: heard some of it that they had sent just articles I had read where they they give it to division because they uh they had thirty two different law enforcement agencies investigating me.
0: 32. Do we have 32 agencies? Dude, well, no, it was,
1: it was, uh, that's a combination of state, federal, and local, all the different branches, different territories. Uh, don't quote me on 32 either. It could have been 31. <laughs> I know it was above 30. Like that was what I had read in some paperwork somewhere. So. And the money I know got spread amongst a few of the agencies, specifically in my local town. There was like a a county and a state and a federal agency, but I don't know all the numbers exactly.
0: What was the actual charge that you got charged with and pled guilty to?
1: I only had a one-count indictment. That was a conspiracy to distribute 100 kilos of cannabis, which which I'm lucky, right? That's not bad. One-count indictment, I can live with that. Hopefully it'll get, uh, what is the term I'm looking for?
0: pardoned or
1: not pardoned but uh, dissolved I can't even remember. blunt blank but sometimes. so
0: you are eligible for that at some point
1: uh, I don't know because I was a distributor so like a manager or whatever you kingpin whatever you want to call it but uh,
0: oh you got the enhancement
1: jeez uh, <laughs> I don't know what they call it man I was just I wish I expunged that's the word expunged it'd be nice if my record was expunged because cannabis is legal in so many states right now it's like come on. It's just, us the plant. But you know, I broke the law. I took shortcuts. I cheated. So there it is. I have a one count indictment on my record. You know, being a felony, that's being a felon. That's the problem. I feel bad for so many felons is you're really isolated from a lot of other opportunities. It's not just the prison time. It's like, okay, you know, you go to lease a place every day, always on these applications. Have you ever been arrested? You know, there's certain things that you're prohibited from doing, like can't own a firearm. So let's just say we had some pandemic again and somebody comes to my house and goes, give me all your food. And they put a gun at my head give me all your food and money. You know, I want to be able to pull a gun out and say, no, but I can't. So I have to be able to disarm them with my hands now, which, you know, uh, you know, I I don't know that we could talk all day about that. I don't like talking too much about crime. The thing is, I, you know, I'm happy I came on this podcast, (laughs) but like I was telling you briefly when I walked in is, uh, I try not to talk about crime too much because it's the old version of me. And you know, the law of attraction really works when you think about things or talk about things. It's almost like it somehow gets embedded in your brain, but maybe I'm wrong with that, but this is the locked in podcast. So ask me whatever the fuck you want, dude.
0: (laughs) No, I think um, what I, cause I've felt the same way, but I think I've been able to utilize my story and the crimes that happened in the prison sentence as a tool and i think if you're able to figure out a way to use it as a tool that separates it from the past to the person you want to become because in that process and in that journey you're you're creating something new from that bad experience because i wouldn't we wouldn't be sitting here now if i never figured out a way to use that as a tool so i think that yeah yeah
1: that's that's uh, you know you actually are you're right you know and maybe i'm doing that too in a way maybe i i am and will do that you're right
0: i think the book is it writing the book is about that's always going to be there
1: yep you're right when
0: you do podcasts that's always there getting that out but it's about what people take away from it like you'll see content creators in our genre or in the prison genre that it's very focused on themselves with what like stabbings or this and that and What I realized that my life changed for me when I made it more about others, bringing others to share their story. And I use my story to propel the show and and to build a platform. But hearing other stories and what they did to overcome, that inspires so many people. I mean, so many people will be inspired by your story that there's a life outside of what you're able to build and, you know, facing your childhood trauma and working through that and how it shaped you as an individual. That's why I like to start the show of where a person comes from, because it all starts at ground zero and we all have a a childhood and that makes us human. And sometimes people read the felony on our record and they don't realize that we were humans too and lived a a childhood in some sense. Good points. Hit you with some knowledge there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, it's
1: it's good. You know, and I kind of knew some of that, but, uh, yeah it's good that we're you specifically that are really taking your past troubles and using that to propel you to do good and help others you know because i think you and me we could help uh, we could help the younger generation give them a little direction because like a lot of them are drowning in misinformation and miss uh just poor guidance because it's there isn't enough time it seems like everybody's running out of time to really it's not like the old days where you have a horse and carriage and your kids are at home running around on the farm and you have the time to really educate them and teach them right for wrong and what's important in life a lot of them are learning it from influencers online you know how to live life and what's important and uh, if you can take the troubles that you faced and spin it in a way that really gives guidance to help propel the younger generation uh, to a place where they're happy and healthy and wealthy. And there you go. That'll work. I mean, I, 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 I have something I'm working on similar, but I'm uh, eh, going off on another tangent. <laughs>
0: no, it's great. It's using, like, there's so many podcasts out there about, like, talking the highlights of the weekend or, comedy or this and that. And that's great. And there's a place for that. But there's not a lot where you can talk about your trauma and what you went through in your life in a negative prison crime and, and figure out the motivation and how you can inspire others with that. And I think that's where it separates. You're not glorifying the past. and You're not glorifying crime. You're just yeah. explaining what happened.
1: Yeah. 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 There's no there isn't any glory in crime. I mean, dude, it's a dangerous lifestyle. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get you're going to get robbed. You know, I've had friends where they've come in. You know, I had one of my customers, they just, they grabbed him. He was getting right open his door, grabbed him, put a bag over his head, brought him into his freaking apartment, hit him with a bat, asked where all the money and product was and robbed him. Took his shit. He was, fu- he was beat up bad. Yeah, You know, and that, that type of stuff can happen if you're really not street smart. If you don't have eyes in the back of your head and like, And you live in, living with eyes in the back of your head is not the way to live. I mean, keep in mind though, we got to give opportunities to these younger kids so they don't have to sell drugs because imagine growing up and both your parents are alcoholics and uh, your parents don't have jobs, not saying this is all totally me, but, uh, and you're just sitting in a two bedroom apartment with five siblings sharing bedrooms you have no money and your mom's feeding you ramen noodles and you're like fuck how come johnny has a new tennis racket why can't we afford that your mom's like shut up like what do you do you're a little kid you know and she literally talks to you like that these are you know there's so many kids that go through things i've had girlfriends i had this one girlfriend she worked for a i don't know some type of program where she went to troubled children's homes and tried to give them guidance and clarity and she had kids that had literally been locked in cages like Kate, like, like locked in for hours at a time, 12 hours to stay in a cage. Um, Oh man. Wow. That's, uh, you know, people that have had it much tougher than I have. And uh, there needs to be some type of programs or opportunities for them because think about it. If they can go sell drugs, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Why wouldn't they, if there's no other options, it's not like they're, they're trying to hurt anybody. They're just trying to feed themselves.
0: Absolutely. What's a uh, day in the life for you like now?
1: Oh man, it's, uh, I'm, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I have various little th- small things, nothing really big going on right now because I'm making some transitions. I just writing the book was a full time job. Actually working on myself and writing the book was the hardest job in my life because I had to sit and look at myself and I spent a lot of time alone. Literally I would spend close to Sometimes I remember there was a time I spent like three hours working on three sentences in my book. It was just hard to recollect how to connect the dots, how to make, how to just be real with it and not scare the reader. And I had a lot of mentors that I had to go see and talk through my shit, dude, because I never had a time to do nothing. I've been working since I was 12, 13 out of fear. So this is the first point, the first past few years was the first time where I didn't have to work out of fear where I could chill. I had a small, you know, small amount of savings, lived humbly, didn't really blow money and just had freedom and free time to reflect and think about who I was as a person, how I can be a better person for people around me. So that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing that and writing the book. And now the next thing is, sorry, this uh, thing went out here. Let me see this. Oh, there we go. This, uh, these headphones are a little off. They're tweaking me out over here. They're like, the wire's the, wire, the wires the wire is going off. Hey, so what am I doing now? I'm getting ready to set up something. I'm gonna set up, I'm gonna set up something that can scale. There was two things, two criteria I have for building a business. How can I help people and add value to people's lives? And how can it scale while I'm sleeping? Because I don't want to run around 15 hours a day chasing a dollar. And uh, I'm going to create some type of course program handbook to teach young hustlers how to stack. all this, Because my teachers let me down. The majority, 80% of my teachers throughout my childhood, even going up into college, really did not inspire me. And uh, I didn't learn much. But the ones that were passionate about their job, I learned so much. And I took that and applied that to my life. But the other teachers that just spoke from theory, that hadn't really ever done anything, that were just there so they could have the summers off or the good benefits, they weren't passionate. They were reading from a curriculum or syllabus, very robotic. And guess what? I scored very poorly on those exams. Why? Not because I wasn't smart, but because I wasn't interested in what they were saying. So I started spacing out and thinking about other things that I could do with my life. So I wasn't paying attention in class. And I think this is a problem with a lot of the kids. I think that the the education system lacks quality teachers. So I'm going to create a program that really teaches people how to level up and get what they want and take care of the important shit which is, you know, mind, body, spirit, right? Making money, feeding your family, paying the mortgage, getting along with your neighbors, surviving the highs and lows that life delivers to all of us. I'm going to give you real knowledge, shit that I learned on the street that can be applied to the real world, whether you're in a corporate boardroom making billion-dollar deals or whether you're, you know, at the bottom of your rope trying to figure out where you're going to get water. Because I've been there. Remember I said drinking out of my neighbor's garden hose because I was thirsty, hiding behind a bush? Like I've been there. And I've also sat in a corporate room with the heavy hitters that make decisions that are getting ready to jump on their private jet and go make more decisions and change many people's lives. So I'm going to create something that can really uh, teach the principles in a, in a hopefully an exciting, cool, and blunt format. So wish me luck. (laughs) Good luck with that. And
0: hopefully it's not like what these other, some of these other creators are putting out there. Like, you know, those classes that you see, those are rough.
1: There's so many people teaching and that's on theory, not experience. Because, you know, a lot of people, and I understand why they're doing it. Maybe they have a good following or maybe they're attractive or maybe they're a people person. Maybe they're a good salesperson. But, uh, you know, have they really actually done something? Some have. Some have. And it depends who, you know, I, I haven't actually watched my It's on my to-do list, actually. My to-do list is to start signing up for some of these uh, online programs and just testing them out, seeing what the competition's like, how they're what they're doing. So that's actually what I'm going to be doing this winter. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm going to create something that you can sign up for because I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to take your money unless I'm giving you value. Yeah. And, uh, that's where I'm going to do. I'm going to, that's the next big venture. And I got a couple brand things I'm working on, but I don't want to spread myself thin because that's when I lose quality. So, uh, that's where I'm really going to need you to wish me luck to stay focused.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm like that too, but I've really learned to focus on one thing. That's why I've cut everything else out that doesn't, is, is not what I'm passionate about. And I just went all in on the podcast and the media company I'm building and things like that. Because when you're not focused, then that's when mistakes happen. You get spread too thin.
1: Yeah. Yep, I've been there so many times in my life. And even still, bro, that's a never-ending feat for you, right? For the rest of your life, you're going to be constantly cutting things out to be more focused because you cannot grow unless you cut things out. You can only handle so much stuff in your life. That's why I'm moving a lot. I like moving a lot. Like when I switch out rental units or wherever I'm at, I'm constantly leaving things behind and giving things away. And like the next place I go to, there'll be less and less because I don't want stuff on my walls. Eventually I'm going to build my end game is I'm going to be re- build retreats where people can go heal like prison retreats, but very high-end because I want people to be able to go away and lock themselves in and have what the highest quality food, the highest quality fitness, and the highest quality staff, which equals the highest quality vibe.
0: That's awesome.
1: I'm gonna create environments where you can go in and check in and reset and heal. And uh, I have a 40-acre parcel in upstate New York. I'm probably gonna do a little prototype up there. I can put in a quarter-mile road. I got some spring-fed swimming ponds but uh, that's the end game. And, uh, you know, uh, where would I go with this? I where, where I don't know where I went with that brush.
0: Wish you luck on the timing. Oh, fuck, dude. <laughs> And not spreading of, yourself you, too yeah, thin. Yeah, yeah,
1: spreading myself thin, dude. Like we all do this, but I'm gonna help people with that, with these retreats I'm building. Because, okay, the key is, back to what you said, is focusing and get rid of stuff. You wanna keep getting rid of things, and you'll be doing that for the rest of your life. Because when you get rid of things, New things can come in. The law that's the only way it works. the law of physics, right? You you can you can only handle so much in, in your little circle or what do you have going on?
0: And it's not bad to get rid of things. It it's not a negative connotation with that. You know, sometimes you get rid of something, it's a it's a blessing to go on to the next thing. You're growing. Sometimes you outgrow people and situations.
1: Oh yeah. Man, I've had to you know, there's certain people that I really love, good people in my life that I just don't hang out with anymore because I didn't feel good. You know, they were good for me at that point in my life, but there's only two ways you can feel after you hang out with somebody. And this is very important to remember, either charged or drained. So next time you go to an event, whether it's to meet your neighbors on Friday night or Buddy on Wednesday. When you leave that engagement or function or whatever it is, take a moment and think about how you feel. Do you feel charged or drained? And there may be certain people or certain circles in your life right now where you feel drained. And that's not a way to feel forever. You don't want to feel like that. So a lot of people keep going back though because they don't want to be alone. Now, you got to man up and put your balls on the line and be, be like, you know what? it's okay to be alone because when you're alone, something new will come eventually, but you need to be alone because remember what I said, that's where you grow the most. It's kind of like, you know, that when they say when one door closes, another one opens, but standing in the hallway is the bitch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to stand alone in the hallway and figure out if another door is going to open or when or what type of door it's going to be. And that's, that's me is I never really had fear of, uh, closing things out that never served me, you know, but there's certain people you might have to close up, but don't do it in a positive way. You got to send them love. You got to be good, be there for them too, if they need you. But maybe you just don't spend as much energy. I can't tell you how many girlfriends I've dated that like hang out. with this, They're always exhausted. they're like, <laughs> well, I'm like, well, but we're going out Friday drinking. I'm like, why, what are you, what are you going to like, you know, if it's fun and, it, and you feel good, like, and you feel great after, do it. Keep going.
0: Yeah. I love a, a night in. I see people that do the same thing over and over, go the same bar in the same town every weekend. And if that's great if it's fun for them, but I just I couldn't do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't do that anymore. I used to, you know, I like to go out for food, but I'm not a drinker. I don't I don't really like alcohol. Occasionally if I'm having like a steak off some wine or something, but nah.
0: Do you feel charged or
1: drained now? Dude, you charge me actually I'm being a <laughs> straight one hundred with you. I didn't know what to expect coming in here. So I, I, you know, I was kind of like, I really don't like doing the crime podcast because I'm not a criminal anymore. And I'm like, I don't know. But you're very intelligent. You ask good questions and it's a good vibe in here. So I I thank thank you you for that because I was kind of hesitant and I didn't know what I was walking into.
0: Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And one last question for you. If you could go back to your 19-year-old self or teenage self and have a conversation with that individual what advice would you give to them knowing everything you know now?
1: Oh, man, it'd be very simple, and it's the most important thing. Sounds so simple, but do not care about what other people think of you. They're entitled to their opinion. Their opinion is from their perspective. It is none of your business what other people think about you. You have your own business to focus on. If everybody likes you in the room, you're doing something wrong. You're a people pleaser. And you know what people pleasers are? They become drained. It's another thing. I can't tell you how many girlfriends that are people pleasers, and they're exhausted when they come home. Like You don't need to be nice to everybody. Be courteous. Be respectful. But you don't need to put a show on for anybody. Back to what I said. If you have one friend right now and you are 19 years old, you are winning. If you don't, if you don't, guess what? You will. You will as long as you stay true to your heart and focus on what you really love. And, and, and fear of judgment will kill you. That's what killed me. Fear of judgment. Fear of rejection. Fear of if I was a kid and only got one like on my social media post. Are you kidding me? That would crush me. But you just got to say, fuck it. I don't care. This is where I'm, I'm not where you're from. I'm not where you're from. I'm from a different place that you cannot relate to that was hard. So back to your question is uh, one piece of advice is listen to what other people think of you. You know, some people might give you good advice, but do not care too much. Don't let it ruin your day. Don't let it ruin your life. There were people that called me a loser. There are people call me chicken legs. I got called so much stuff. There are people that flick my ear. I had so many bullies pick on me like, man. And uh, it can be really tough for kids. Like I said, my childhood was way harder than prison. So I, I really, I hope I can help the younger kids because it's, it's got to be tougher out there than even when I face stuff. So, but still my one piece of advice is, uh, and this goes for children and adults, don't care what other people think about you.
0: Absolutely. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, absolute pleasure talking to you today. Really good conversation. I'm excited to read the book.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, thank too, you.
0: And uh, we'll put the book description in, in the bio and where they can purchase it from. Um,
1: um, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'd love uh, if anybody does read the book and they really like it, feel free to DM me. I always love hearing from people that read the book that uh, it, it helped them in some particular aspect of their life and helped them level up. Um and man, Ian, thanks for having me, dude.
0: Of course, man. Absolutely.
1: It was a pleasure. And uh, That's it. Let's sign up. Oh, what do you want to know? You want to know the name of the book? The book's called Pressure, a memoir by Eric Canori. It's available on Amazon. And uh, somebody reached out to me and helped me with my social media. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: you're looking at him right here. Hi, right, <laughs> dog.